Thanks for listening. We pray that this online resource from South Point Church is helpful in deepening your relationship with our God and Savior. Our desire is for everyone to live, grow, and serve together in a local body of believers. If you are not already part of a local church, we would love to have you join us in person. For more information, visit our website at www.wearesouthpoint.com. That's www.wearesouthpoint.com. Yeah, today is the greatest day ever. You know, if you had the opportunity to be with us Friday night, you got to experience something very special, something powerful, something meaning, something moving, something that reminded us of the gruesome, horrible death that our Lord had to endure so that we could come to this day and say, praise God, he is risen. You know, it's appropriate, and I think because it's such a a day of celebration, it's okay to inject just a tiny little bit of church humor, so go with me on this. It's been said that someone pulled Joseph of Arimathea aside and said to him, Joseph, that was a beautiful, costly, hand-hewn tomb. Why did you give that away? Why did you give it to someone else to be buried in? Joseph just smiled and said, why not? He only needed it for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus only needed the tomb for the weekend. He is risen. He is seated at that place of honor at God's right hand. Now, here's the challenge for us today. Okay, the challenge for us today is to believe it and live it. Um, Author and theologian N.T. Wright has said, our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. And so my goal this morning is that if you are here and you are not saved that you will encounter the risen Jesus. If you are watching us today online and you are not saved, I pray that the Spirit will speak to you through the airwaves and that you will know that you are loved, that God has a place for you, that he is waiting with arms open to welcome you into his presence. May today whether you're here or there, be your day of salvation. For those of you who are here and are saved, it is that you would be challenged to live as resurrection people. To live as resurrection people. See, it's high time, in my opinion, it's high time for all of us, myself included, because I am far from perfect But it's high time for us to truly walk in the newness of life. We can do that with God at our side. So if you have your Bibles, please open with me to Mark chapter 16. We're going to go, we're going to walk to the empty tomb this morning. We're going to see for ourselves that Jesus truly is risen 
And as we do that, we're going to explore three things. The first is a ministry of love. The second, a message of life. Third, a mission of liberation. So if you would please stand with me in honor of God's reading of God's word. Mark 16, we're going to begin at verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out. And fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let us pray. Father, the fact that Jesus is risen ought to make us want to run through the streets of Abilene, screaming and shouting just that. Lord, I ask that you draw everyone in this church and everyone who may be watching online to yourself, that none may leave without the salvation your son has provided and that we all may leave convicted to truly live as resurrection people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, thank you. So Mark starts out telling us a story of three women who went to the tomb that Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene, mother of the Mary of James and Salome. I remember Mary Magdalene from whom Jesus cast out seven demons, usually named first when the women who followed Jesus are listed. So likely she could have been the leader. Mary, the mother of James, James the younger, son of Alphaeus, of course one of the twelve, and Salome, the wife of Zebedee, mother to James and John. You remember they called them the sons of thunder. She asked for Jesus to for them to be able to sit at his right and left hand in the kingdom. But Luke tells us that having observed the tomb and having seen where Jesus was placed on Friday night, they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. He then tells us that they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Mark goes on to say that when the Sabbath was passed, they resumed their ministry to the Lord. It was a ministry of love. Now, before we go on, let me just say, can you imagine what that Saturday must have been like? Had to have been the most agonizing day, the most agonizing Sabbath of their lives. But finally, they could do something. And I want us to notice four things, I think, that really kind of stick out in these first couple of verses of Mark chapter 16. First and foremost, they brought spices. They bought spices. Um, Jesus had already been partially prepared, if you will. Joseph and Nicodemus had already wrapped his body in myrrh and aloe. So why would these women want to do more? Why would they want to, to add to that? Well, I would suspect, or I propose to you, that they were from Galilee. 
Joseph and Nicodemus were from Judea. So the ladies would not have been familiar with who these two men were. I think they also, to them, represented the Sanhedrin, which had condemned Jesus. So really, could they trust that, he, that, they, that they would do the right thing by Jesus? So I think the other thing that stands out to me is that by them doing this and buying spices, they fully expected to find a corpse when they got to the tomb. The second thing is, I believe it's their desire that they might go and anoint him. Now, history shows us that unlike the Egyptians, the Jews didn't embalm, they anointed. And it was an act of love. It was designed to help offset the stench of the decaying body. And again, I think it's important for us to remember that they were coming, even though it was three days after, expecting to find a corpse. Now, the third thing was their devotion. And the scripture says, very early, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So likely they left their homes when it was dark, gotten up early. John, in fact, says that when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb. Perhaps she had gone ahead of the other woman. I wonder, would they have even been able to sleep Saturday night as they anxiously awaited? They were devoted. They were devoted to Jesus. They wanted to go and pay, those, pay that respects, if you will. And then along the way, number four, what were they talking about? They kept saying, who will roll away the stone for us? Indicating that they kept worrying about this. And you'll remember, the stone was very large and there was a trench that was dug in front of the opening of the tomb so the stone could not be moved. And again, I think it's a reminder. They expected to find a corpse. Even though Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples he would be raised from the dead, they hadn't really grasped that. And I wonder how many times in our lives we are repeatedly told something over and over and over again, but until we experience it or witness it or feel it for ourselves, do we truly grasp the meaning of what was being told? So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I have to tell you, Jesus is as dead to you as he was to those women before they got to the tomb. How is that? Why, why, if I'm not a believer of Jesus, why am I dead? Because you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That is that step of saving faith. You know, and it's interesting, the Bible says that you are the dead one, not Jesus, because we're dead in our sins. You may have breath in your body, but you have no life. I implore you today, won't you come to him? He's the only one who can save you. If you're here today and you're already saved, let's keep living as resurrection people. But my question is, are you living in Saturday? Or are you living in today, Sunday, the risen Christ day? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, day in and day out, I see so many Christians living as if it's still Saturday. A life of gloom. Doom. They may say that Jesus is alive, but do your actions truly reflect that? 
God's not dead. He's alive. He is risen. We got to live that day to day in the victory of Christ's resurrection. And one of the ways that we do that is that we love Jesus extravagantly. We worship him boldly. We pray to him courageously. We walk with him with open eyes, open hearts, fully believing that he is guiding every single step. First Peter 1 verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. See, that's joy. That's the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And it's a different kind of a feeling than being happy. Joy. And I love that word, inexpressible. Can you imagine trying to even put a finger on what that means? So I'm going to ask you today, are you living on Saturday? A life of defeat, woe is me? Or are you living on Sunday, a life of victory and joy that words cannot describe a life sold out to Christ and his love? That's a challenge for us. As believers, for those who may not believe, it's a call, but it's the call of a loving father who says, come to me and I will give you rest. I think the second thing as we continue this passage with verse 4, it talks about what I've called a message of life. Okay, so the women arrive. Looking up and down. I mean, they'd been looking down. They just figured that they were just going to take care of, of a corpse, even though it was Jesus. They were downcast, defeated, living in Saturday. As they looked up, they saw their first surprise. The stone was rolled away. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine what they made, the, the level of emotions? Can you imagine the, the range of emotions from excitement to, oh, my gosh. Gosh, what have they done with our Lord? Why is the tomb open? They walked in. Matthew 28, verses 2 and 4 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the women walk into the tomb. They saw the second surprise. Luke says his clothes were dazzling. Matthew says they were as white as snow and that his appearance was like lightning. At this, the women were alarmed. I'm not sure how I would have felt. Can you imagine? For just a moment, allow yourself mentally to go there and imagine what these women might have been feeling. It's entirely possible. It says, completely terrified of what they saw, this young man, the angel, he began to speak to them. And his message is their third surprise, if you will, of this morning. It's a message of life. I want to kind of look at four things that I think particularly stand out in this in verse 6. I think first and foremost, it's a message of peace. Because the angel says to them, do not be alarmed. Okay, it is very appropriate that his resurrection should be attended with a message of peace. His birth was peaceful, quiet. Jesus came. 
Not a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of fanfare, but it was just a baby born in a stable and laid in a manger. But his resurrection from the death is still giving us peace today. It's the same message for all of us who believe on him. God brings a message of peace. The second thing is it's a message of person. The angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Mark's inspired account leaves no doubt about who had been in that tomb. You know, there are some who would, uh, skeptics and unbelievers would say, oh, they just went to the wrong tomb. Well, we know that's not the case. My opinion, that's completely ludicrous. They knew exactly where they were going. Thirdly, it's a message of power. The angel says, he is, not ri- he is risen. He's not here. You know, we're reminded in the scripture, you'll remember the stories. Jesus was not the first person to get up from the dead. Lazarus in John 11, the widow of the Nain son in Luke 7, Jairus' daughter in Mark 5. But here's the key thing. He was the only one who got up to never die again. He conquered death so that all who receive him as their personal savior become partakers. A couple of great passages that remind us of this in John 11 Beginning with verse 23, he says, Jesus said to her, her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Paul's letter to the Romans, 6th chapter, beginning with verse 4, says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in the newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. Like this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See, all that great resurrection power is ultimately going to be realized when Jesus returns and raises the dead in Christ. The fourth thing that stands out in this passage is that it's a message of proof. See the place it says. It's actually a Greek. The Greek for this is an imperative meaning, behold, look, be sure to see this. Don't miss it. It's an observable, objective fact. How? The grave clothes. They would have been the cloth strips that had been wrapped around his body, still lying there undisturbed, as if the body had just simply slipped right through them. They would have seen the napkin folded and laid to the side. This would have had utter significance for them. You see, in Jewish tradition, at the table of the master, there was always a servant that was taking care of things. 
And see, once the table was set, and it had to be set perfectly, the servant would stand off to the side, kind of in the shadows, and watch and wait as the master ate. And if the master was done completely, he would get up, use the napkin to wipe his fingers, his face, and he would just toss the napkin on the table. That was an indication to the servant that he was done, that he was finished. Now, if the, if the master folded the napkin and left it on the table, that was a sign to the servant that he was not finished. And so for these women to see that folded napkin that would have covered Jesus' face, neatly folded and laying there, it would have been a sign to them that he's coming back, that he's not finished. The grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him down. The empty grave, so many things about that. For over 2,000 years, skeptics have tried to disprove that the resurrection actually took place. There are literally thousands of crazy, wild theories to try and disprove the resurrection. But here's the thing. Every theory that's ever been proposed is dashed to pieces by the testimony of the empty grave. Which brings me to a couple of points here. I think first and foremost is the consequence of the message that they saw. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 14, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of most people to be pitied. Let me think about it. As you break this passage down, I think there's six things that kind of really grabbed me. The first and foremost is that our preaching is in vain. Big old waste of my time. Why are you here? Why am I here? If our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain, all the praying, the Bible study, the witnessing, the serving, the hoping, the holiness. Praising is a waste of time if there's no resurrection. And we're mis misrepresenting God. If there's no empty tomb, if there's no resurrection, if there's no gospel, what's the point? We're still living in our sins. If there's no forgiveness, no resurrection, no salvation, then we're just kind of floating around like Forrest Gump, like a feather on a breeze, you know, with no purpose in our lives. The other thing is that believers who have died are just gone. You know, so many funerals that I've either presided at or attended, we talk about the hope of being able to be rejoined with our loved ones in that day when Jesus comes again. And then finally, can you imagine what it must be like or what it would be like without the gospel to be people who are pitied? That's such a 
a neg- that word has such a negative connotation. But here's the thing. That's not true because we have the gospel. We have the resurrection. We have Jesus triumph over death. The second thing is the certainty of the message. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it said, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, that ought to make us shout. See, you know how Paul could write that? Because he had seen the resurrected Lord with his own eyes. See, we're here today, and Satan is actively battling to blind us Darken our eyes to the fact of the glorious truth. Someone once asked Josh McDowell, why can't you refute Christianity? He says, for a very simple reason. I'm not able to explain away an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He cites Professor Thomas Arnold, chair of modern history at Oxford, and he says, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved and have fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer that the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. So again, for just a moment I speak to any of you who are here or who are watching that don't know Jesus today. You can argue, you can deny, and you can debate Jesus' resurrection all day long, and it doesn't change the fact that he is risen. Whether you acknowledge it of truth has no bearing on reality. It's true whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. And everyone who believes and lives and walks with him shall never die. If you're here today and you're already saved, my question is, do you believe it but don't live it? See, the same power that raised Jesus from the death now courses through your veins in the form of the Holy Spirit. Paul summed it up best in Philippians 3.10 when he said his goal in life was to know him and the power of his resurrection. So is that your goal today? Will you today commit to the living power of his resurrection? Walk with him through the filling of the Holy Spirit. These final two verses, I think there's a I've called it a mission of liberation, but there are some things that are happening here that I think we need to remember. The first thing is a command. The angel's message is not finished, so he gives the women a command. What does he do? He tells them to go tell his disciples and Peter, even Peter. Ouch. Ever wonder how much sleep Peter got from Thursday to Sunday? Probably not much. Probably not much. Maybe that's why John outran him to the tomb. He was so tired. Or the heavy burden of guilt he was carrying. Yet the angel speaking on behalf of the Lord, unless the women as well, said, Go, tell them. Liberate Peter. You know, 20 years later, as Peter recounts this story to Mark, he still remembers those sweet, precious, forgiving words of the angel and Peter. He is going before you to Galilee. Now, why Galilee? They were close to Jerusalem. 
But why Galilee? I think it's where they first fell in love with Jesus, where many of them were called into discipleship. You know, and they kind of waited around, did they? They didn't go right away. John tells us after eight days when Jesus appeared to Thomas, they were still in Jerusalem. Again, he had to tell them, go to Galilee. There you will see him. And that's, in fact, where they did see him. If you're looking for some proof, you just look only to God's word to see. There are 13 post-resurrection appearances in Scripture. Mary Magdalene, the other two women, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the 11, to Peter, to the 10, minus Thomas, and then to the 11 with Thomas. And from there at the Sea of Galilee to the 500 brothers all at once, to the 11 again in Galilee, to James at Jesus' ascension, and then finally to Paul, who describes himself as one untimely born. The second thing I see in these two verses is a change. These women came to the tomb in one condition, and man, did they leave it changed. Astonishment had seized them. The Greek word for that is ecstasis. Just totally turned their wild world upside down. And see, that's what happens. Their lives were completely changed by the mystery of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. And for those of us that meet the resurrected Jesus, for those of us who claim his blood as covering of our sins and our future to walk with him, lives change. Finally, a choice. Mark tells us they did not talk about what they had seen and heard with anyone along the way. I can imagine how much they wanted to tell someone. When you've experienced something that you are so excited about and you can't tell anyone for a moment, you just are bursting. And then when you finally get the opportunity to talk about it, it's just like words everywhere. You're excited and you're showing them. Many of them ran to the tomb. We were told that John looked in and saw the evidence and that he believed. The message of these women caused even more stones to be rolled away. Because of their testimony, many were brought out of the darkness and gloom of Saturday into the wonder and glory of Sunday. So this kind of brings me to a a final point of application, I think. As resurrection people, God continues to give us the wonderful privilege of being able to liberate people from the bondage to sin. Do you know that you have been gifted to lead people to Jesus? You know, so often we get caught up in the fear. We get caught up with Satan in our ear saying, no, you can't do that. You're not smart enough. You're not biblically wise enough. You don't know enough verse. And to that I say, hogwash. You have everything that you need inside of you Every experience of life that you've had that you can recognize as God's work in your life is a witness to someone who desperately needs what you have, who desperately needs to know Jesus. You are his witnesses, and the best thing you can do is to share what God's done in your life 
It's like these women, they ran back. The tomb is empty. This angel told us that Jesus was resurrected, that he lives. That excitement that you should have living and breathing, and I know it burns within every one of us who call on the name of Jesus, is something to be shared. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, plant your feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom that God, that Christ has won for us. Do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. We need to live liberated. We need to speak it to others. We need to share that faith with others. We need to let people know about why this day is the greatest day ever. Oh, that Jesus would say of us here at South Point Church, well done, my good and faithful servants. You are speaking life into a lost and dying world around you every day. Not just today, yes, today. Every day, we need to speak that life. Oh, that the world, just with Paul and Silas in Acts 17, 6, would shout to these folks, turning the world upside down with the life-saving grace and love of Jesus Christ. So today, you may be sitting here saying, so what? Does it really matter? I would say to you, as... Dr. Rogers once said, if Jesus Christ is still in that grave, nothing really matters. But if he came out of that grave, nothing but that matters. You probably wondered about my sermon title today. So why would you put all your eggs in one basket? Well, if you think about the colloquialism, if you will, the Urban Dictionary defines it as putting your money, your hopes, or future into one thing. The wisdom of the world says don't do it. So we have financial advisors who tell us to spread our money around, guidance counselors, spiritual advisors, life coaches. But I'm here to tell you today that the world is wrong. And it wasn't until the spring of 1994 that I figured it out for myself. And since that time, I've spent nearly 30 years in various stages of ministry as a marriage and family coach, as a preacher, as a Sunday school teacher, and a sold-out follower of the one true Christ. Now, do I say that to trump myself up? Heaven, no. No. But I am here to tell you that I have all my eggs in one basket. And that is the linchpin of our faith. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior. You should do that as well. You know, I thought it was such fun to watch the littles out there gathering the eggs. And I thought about the, my, the title of my sermon and I was like I wish one of them was here with your basket that was full of eggs because all their eggs are in one basket all your eggs in one basket Jesus Christ is not in the grave he is risen he is risen indeed believe it live it because Nothing else matters but that. Let us pray.